Good morning, everybody. How you doing? All right. It's still, it's still uh, legal to be able to talk and respond. And so just in case you were wondering um, if the law had changed on that. So let me ask you again, with full permission for you to respond, how's everybody doing? All right. Look at you exercising your rights. I love it. And so I'm really excited about this series that we're in. And as Pastor Denise mentioned, we are uh, right at the beginning of our 21 days of fasting and prayer. And so if you have, if, if you find yourself having missed the queue up of all of this, it is not too late, as she said. And I want you to take note of something. If you just had these 21 days to judge the priorities of this church and say, what does this church care about? What is this church intentional about? What seems to matter? I hope you're coming away with a sense that what matters profoundly to us is that we are not bent on creating a gathering. Our goal is to not have just a Sunday service of Christians gathering in a room and fill it as much as possible and then, you know, mission accomplished, we've achieved. Our goal is for every single person that Jesus would allow us to shepherd and guide, we want to give you the tools the biblical resources for you to have the most flourishing relationship with Jesus possible. And so here, our, our heart, our prayer is that you would not just be an audience member, but that you would raise your hand and say, I want to follow Jesus. And if that's you, over these next couple of weeks, we're going to give you robust tools to do so. And so I hope I hope you're desiring that. I hope you're ready for that. I hope you're uh, just hearing God's multiple opportunities that he's extending to all of us, whether it's scripture, prayer, extended worship, listening to his voice. These are all exceptionally critical things for us to deepen our walk with God. And so toward that end, I'm excited about today's sermon because I think for many of us, we may not be aware that there is a spiritual discipline in the scriptures, a habit, a practice in the scriptures that is charged with incredible life, that if you practice this, you position yourself to have a robust, dynamic, ongoing encounter with Jesus. And for many of us, we're probably not aware that this is a spiritual discipline. We're going to talk about two spiritual disciplines today that kind of really go hand in hand. And again, for many of us, we're either not aware that these are spiritual disciplines or we have been avoiding them like the plague. And you're saying, which disciplines are we going to talk about? Let's jump in. Luke chapter 5, verse 16. One verse for today. It says this about Jesus. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 5.16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Today we're going to talk about the spiritual disciplines of solitude and silence. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask that you would meet us, that you would speak to us. Lord, would you equip us in order for us to truly have a dynamic, living, intentional relationship with you. So Lord, would you... Bless this time, anoint this time with your power, with your presence. Help us to hear what you desire to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
It's an interesting time that we find ourselves in for so many reasons, but one of the things that I've noticed more and more, the rarity of silence. That silence in our world is incredibly rare. And in fact, haven't you noticed that in order for people to experience a form of silence, which is blocking out the noise of the world, what do they need? Headphones. One of the greatest panic attacks of our time is when people leave their house and they realize, I don't have my headphones with me. Because what that means is that now you don't have something to insulate you against the noise that's all around you. But it's interesting that we have conditioned ourselves in our day and age that we actually need noise in order to try to create a form of silence. What is that all about? Why are we stuffing things in our ears and blasting whether it's a podcast, someone talking to us, or music, or whatever the case is, in many ways, our dependence on noise is covering up our desire to not feel alone. It's like when people turn on the TV at night. They're not watching it. They just like the noise in the background. It's a subtle way to remind yourself or to make yourself feel like you're not alone. Yet we resist, we resist this at our core, and that's why we, we blast ourselves with all this noise and we do all the things that we possibly could do just so not to feel this ache. And so what do we do? We resist silence because we don't want to feel alone. The desire to not feel alone makes us do a bunch of things, and one of the things that it causes us to do is to pump up the volume all around us in order for us to not feel alone. And, you know, years ago when social media became a part of our world, people thought that it looked like this could actually fix loneliness. At first, it was really great connecting with friends that you haven't seen. And, oh, how's my classmate doing? Uh, they moved across the country and people are f discovering each other and family members are finding each other. It was like this, this miracle. Now, all of a sudden, we can feel connected all the time. But as you probably have heard, studies continue to show that the more active people are on social media, the greater their sense of loneliness and isolation. And so we're trying to avoid feeling lonely and being alone, and yet the very things that our society has offered to us to cure it are creating an even heightened sense of loneliness and isolation. And so our world fights against it. And yet... Despite our urge to resist loneliness, the last two years and plus, we were all plunged into a state of incredible isolation and loneliness that we have not dared to even imagine. And it wasn't just one-offs, it was our society entirely. And look at where, we're all, where we are now the effects, the impact of loneliness, the thing that we're avoiding, the thing that we don't want any part of. Did you know that solitary confinement is considered a form of torture? That in, uh, in jails, when someone is, is assigned to solitary confinement, they can only spend so much time there. Uh, they refer to it as the ping that there's this moment after a certain amount of times, it's almost like a person's brain just ping, and, and you don't come back the same. 
And so they've deemed it a form of torture to keep someone isolated and confined for long periods of time. And we have gone through something collectively, whether we want to vocalize it or not, that we have to wrestle with. And this isn't just like for comfort or convenience. It actually rubs up against the way God designed us. If you weren't aware, in Genesis 2, God says something incredibly revealing about human nature. He says about Adam, and by extension us, he says, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. And what does that touch upon? That touches upon when God created us, he created us in our design intrinsically that we were created to flourish the most when we are entrenched in community. We don't flourish as human beings optimally when we are in isolation, when we're alone. When you and I are in isolation or disconnected from others, the possibility for self-deception runs rampant because in that state we could easily believe our own lies. We could easily tell ourselves truths that are not true and there's no one there to correct us. How many have ever remembered the transition from being single to being in a relationship? And that transition is brutal, though beautiful, but brutal on this one front. When you're single, you can tell yourself a lot of really good things about yourself. And you can easily believe, oh, I'm very selfless. I'm just such a magnanimous person. I'm great to be around. Like, whoever ends up with me is incredibly blessed because I've just bring so much, and then you enter into that close proximity of relationship, and probably your first confession is, this person is incredibly selfish, self-centered. What did I do? Oh, this perfect person that I am. But if you stick around long enough, eventually the confession comes full circle, and you realize, man, I'm kind of jacked up too. But when you're alone, it's easy for us to tell ourselves that we're better off than we really are. And it helps when we're alone, we tend to avoid this fundamental reality about our nature, how God made us. And I say all of that to highlight the verse we just read from this vantage point. If we were created for community, if we thrive the most when we're in vibrant relationships and continuous connection, why is it that we just read Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed? Why is Jesus avoiding what Scripture tells us we were created for? Now, we've spent time in this verse in the context of prayer, but today we're going to look at it from the vantage point of solitude and silence and we're going to look at this rhythm of Jesus and consider what it means for us. We see that Jesus, he practiced intentional solitude and silence. This is remarkable. The most flourishing human life that ever existed. If you want to know, Jesus, show me your calendar. Show me your to-do list. Show me how you structure your week, your day, your month, your year in that calendar, you would see pop up on multiple occasions, solitude and silence. He would withdraw and to be alone in, in, in solitude and in prayer and in silence multiple occasions. 
And we, it, it happens so often that it's actually not possible to just like peg when he did it in like very specific ways because he did it in multiple occasions. His response to busyness and the demands of people was that he often withdrew. When he needed direction, we read that he would withdraw and spend all night in prayer by himself. Before he made big decisions, he would do so. When amazing things were happening, when entire towns were, fro- were, were flocking to him and demanding more of him, it was a common practice, read throughout the Gospels, how often the disciples had to search for Jesus. It's like, we need him. We need to go to the next town. Our people are, are looking for him. And they often had to go search for him. And where would they find him? They would find him in these places that were withdrawn. He would go away. He would seek it out. It's an interesting thing to take note of that Jesus, who came to restore relationship and community in this world, he often withdrew from it. I remember reading a story about a restaurant owner who refused to eat his own food that he served at the restaurant. Uh, Suffice it to say, eventually the restaurant ceased to exist uh, because he didn't even know what was being put out himself. It's it's an interesting thing that Jesus seems to not wanting to be fully tasting what he's telling us we should be tasting. So what's happening here? What's going on? It can't be that Jesus is telling us to do something that he's not doing himself. He's saying this is good for you but not good for me. What's happening here? And I think actually we get an incredible insight as to what was happening in Jesus and why he practiced this rhythm of solitude and silence when we reflect on the words of Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer said this about solitude and community. He said, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community Beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound pitfalls and perils. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. See, what Jesus modeled for us and something we need to take into consideration, he He practiced solitude in such a way that it actually allowed him to fully engage with community. And I think that's something that we need to wrestle with. If if we look at our lives, some of us aren't alone enough to actually benefit from the gift of community. Or some of us are in community so much that we can't benefit from solitude. Jesus practiced this balance of being with community, but in order for him to fully enter in the gift that is community, we saw that he had this rhythm. It says he often withdrew. Why don't you say that word with me? Often. He often withdrew. This wasn't just a one-off thing. It wasn't just the beginning of the year. It wasn't just during special days. He often withdrew. I think... If we're honest about some of our resistance to this rhythm, like it's very easy right now to look at this pattern and rhythm of Jesus and say, 
man, that looks and sounds great for you, Jesus, but I'm, I'm still not ready to go there. I still want, I, you have some resistance to actually engage in solitude and silence, again, because of this issue of loneliness. Now, if you're not aware, there is an epidemic of loneliness in our world that was brewing before the pandemic, and now during the pandemic, it was like gasoline was thrown on a fire. It's raging. And as a result, we can find ourselves very hesitant to engage with solitude. I remember years ago, I'll never forget, having a, a, a really profound conversation that I didn't realize how profound it was until years later, and I still reflect on it. It was this really incredible, uh, just follower of Jesus at my previous church. And they were the most amazing person. They, they were hospitable. They were always gracious and kind. They were incredibly generous with their time, with their talent, with their treasure. They, they were just a model follower of Jesus. Yet, they had reached a point in their life that they were extremely burnt out. In other words, what we had witnessed was a time period in their life that was beautiful, and it was, it was just unbelievable to see, but yet we were watching the, the decline of it. It was coming to an end. They didn't have anything left in the tank. And I was curious, what's going on? What, what's happening in their soul? <clears throat> and they admitted to me that they did not find it easy to pray. And so that was fascinating to me. I was like, wait a second, all this beauty that we've seen, all this marvelousness, that was you just digging in deep? That was coming out of you? That, that was your strength, your effort? Which was a big lesson to, to, to realize that so many of us, we can dig deep. We can give from places that we don't have ourselves. And we can do that for a time period, but eventually we will burn out. You know, one of the things that causes burnout is you and I giving what we don't have ourselves. When we give what God hasn't given us first, we begin to give out of a deficit, and that just increases, increases. So I'm, I was asking, and I said, why don't you, why do you struggle with prayer? And this was the revelatory moment. I said, when I get still long enough, the things I've tried to avoid facing for years come crashing before my heart. It's too painful. I think in many ways, when it comes to loneliness, why we resist solitude is because one of the things that first is confronted when we engage with solitude is loneliness. Loneliness is a state of inner emptiness. That's why we avoid it. It's cavernous. See, loneliness is not just the absence of others. How many have ever felt lonely in a crowded room? Loneliness can happen when you're in community. Because again, it's a state of inner emptiness. And because of that just awful feeling of loneliness, we are very apt to resist solitude out of fear of loneliness. But here's the thing I want to impress upon all of us. Though loneliness is a reality, and though loneliness is something that we want to resist, loneliness can only be tamed 
by a God-centered practice of solitude. You can't avoid feeling lonely. You can't avoid experiencing it. But you can grow into a place where it doesn't overwhelm you, where it doesn't overshadow you, and it only happens as you and I engage in this practice of solitude. So what's solitude? I want to give you a three-pronged definition of solitude. Because many of you don't realize you actually practice solitude, but you probably practice it, but it misses one of these three things. So let me give you this definition. First off, solitude is withdrawing from others, plus the absence of speech, plus the posture of listening. So you need three things for solitude to happen. You need to withdraw from others. You need the absence of speech. And you need a posture of listening. Think about your day. Think about your life. You probably have one of these happening regularly. Some of you say, I haven't withdrawn from others. People are all around me. Amen. Let's get a coffee later. I resonate. I have human beings everywhere I turn in my house. Everywhere, everywhere. They pop up out of toilets. It's scary. And so, you, no privacy. Um, so maybe withdrawing from others is not there. But the absence of speech. Maybe you have periods of time where you actually can practice the absence of speech. Where it's just like, I've said nothing. Maybe you did it and you weren't even intentional. You didn't re even realize it. But maybe now you're, you're kind of coming like, man, there's those first moments when I wake up and nothing is said. I'm alone inwardly at least. And at that moment, can I also posture my heart to listen? But maybe you and I are just trying to listen to God, but we're not withdrawing from people. We're trying to cultivate the practice of listening to God in the supermarket while we're doing dishes, while we're with our families during our commutes, but we're not withdrawing and maybe we're still actively talking and there isn't like complete solitude. What would it look like for all three of these to be practiced at the same time intentionally? It could be for 10 minutes. You could start small. And you can intentionally try to grow in that practice. But again, what would it look like for all three of these things to be at work at the same time? Because right now, most of us have at least one of these things happening in our day, in our week, whether we're intentional or not. But through intentionality, how powerful could it be to integrate all of these things? And can I tell you, if there's one of these three that's super crucial... For solitude to really be the spiritual discipline that it was intended to be, it's not withdrawing from people, though that's important. And it's actually not just the absence of speech. It's the posture of listening. You and I could withdraw from people, and we could actually have times of silence. But if we don't position our hearts to have a posture of listening, Lord, why are you speaking to me? Let, I want to tune in to you. I want to hear what you're saying to me, then solitude won't fully happen. And, and what, what we're trying to create, a pathway, a season of focus during this 21 days, everything we're doing is geared toward developing a posture of listening, listening to God's voice, 
that key crucial aspect of the Christian faith, the, the, the missing ingredient, the thing by which you and I can't ever fully follow Jesus if listening is absent from our life and our rhythm. Listening, this posture of listening. I love this quote from Richard Foster. He says, though, though silence sometimes involves the absence of speech, it always involves the act of listening. Simply to refrain from talking without a heart listening to God is not silence. So again, we want to withdraw. We want to create spaces in our, seat, in our life, in our day, in our week, our month, our year, where we are withdrawing and we're practicing silence, but we're also developing that posture of listening. Because the purpose of this discipline, the purpose of fasting for that matter, is all intended to help us listen to the voice of God. What's powerful about this practice, and as I've been praying for our church and imagining what it would look like for this discipline to become an active, vibrant, dynamic part of our walk with God, my heart began to explode with excitement because I realized, man, this is such a missing critical piece in our life. And I hope if you're intimidated by prayer, if you're feeling stuck by prayer and, and kind of feel like you need a restart in prayer, how powerful and, and how gracious of God to say, if you want to just engage with me, all you have to do is not figure out fancy words to say. You don't have to go get a, a theological dictionary and learn these like multisyllabic words to throw at me, propitiation, and justification. You don't have to do any of that. All you have to do is withdraw, close your mouth for a little bit, create the absence of speech, and listen. So many of us get stressed when it comes to prayer because we think it's about what we have to say versus it being about what God has to say. Do you realize that prayer is not a monologue? It's a dialogue. It's us talking to God, but also God talking to us. And in that exchange, I hope this doesn't pop anyone's bubble, him talking to us is infinitely greater than what we have to say. Yeah, do we have to get it out? Of course. Does he want to hear? Yes. But at the end of the day, us hearing his voice is of infinite value. And so... When it looks like what, how we can integrate solitude and silence in our life, why this excites me is because it points so vividly to the gospel. See, in silence and solitude, we are reminded that even when we don't bring anything to God, he still meets us in love. Think about your life and think about the spaces in your life that probably the vast majority of them are conditioned that you will be met with love if you bring your A game. Don't show up, lessen your contribution, and very quickly you will be met with a lack of love. But not so with God. You and I are invited to come into his presence and bring nothing, not even our words. No activity, no contribution. You're in solitude and in silence, and God meets you there with nothing but love. 
I really believe that more and more we need to meet God in this kind of space, especially when we live in a world that is constantly telling us that we can only be loved if we bring something of value to the table. This is good news for any of us in this room that feel like you're struggling, feel like you actually maybe have taken steps back in your relationship with God. There's like a crust that's developed over your heart. You feel stale. You feel stuck. Imagine you bringing all of that and not having to be pretentious at all, not having to add anything extra than you just withdrawing, being silent, listening, and God meeting you and drenching you in love. That's what we have to look forward to. And why is this possible? Because Jesus has made a way for us to experience the Father's love without having to earn it. Can I tell you some of the most powerful moments of prayer I've ever had have been after I sinned. I don't get why. It lines up that way. I don't look to sin in order to go and have a powerful time of prayer. I'm constantly trying to avoid temptation and evil. However, when I mess up, when I cross the line, when I find myself in a place of confession, my mind tells me at that point, he's going to meet you in judgment. But his spirit comes and meets me in grace. Solitude and silence in the hands of God have a powerful way to recalibrate how we see him where we just keep coming and meeting with God in that space and it keeps resetting and calibrating ourselves to believe the essence of the gospel is that you are loved despite your absence of contribution. You can come empty-handed and you will leave full because that's how God's love meets us. And if we practice this over and over and over again, Imagine a future where you and I don't fear loneliness because we've learned to embrace solitude with Jesus. Imagine a future where we're not afraid of being alone because we recognize when we're alone, it can be a dynamic place to meet Jesus. Imagine silence becoming our friend because we learn to listen to God's voice. During these 21 days, I want to encourage you to prayerfully seek out how you can grow in solitude and silence. And the first step is to examine in your life where are you practicing some form of solitude and silence, but maybe it's not the holistic pairing of withdrawing, absence of speech, and listening. Maybe you're practicing one or two or one, what would it look like to grow in that practice? What would it look like for you and I during this season to embrace the times of solitude and silence that already exist, as well as how can we intentionally introduce blocks of time and space to practice solitude? Can I tell you, I know this is incredibly hard. In my own life, this is something I'm constantly juggling. We have three small kids, 12, 10, 11, and we have Brielle, who's going to be two 
and she has special needs. Her therapies alone are a juggernaut to juggle. Four different therapies a week, twice a week, that have to juggle. It's a totally brand new rhythm in our life. On top of just pastoring our church, there's a lot of different things that God has me involved in in citywide efforts to, to create a gospel movement in New York City. I don't know about you, but with every person, every news report that I hear of people fleeing the city, moving elsewhere, I get saddened, but I get even more excited. I say that maybe the party will be fewer of us to celebrate when we see New York transformed. I am fully believing and committed to the reality that as long as God's people can be here and practice faithfulness to him, that this city can still be powerfully impacted and turned around. That may be a sidebar, but it actually is so passionate in my soul, in the midst of our church, my family, all these different things. Practicing solitude takes so much intentionality. For me, it's meant waking up super early before anybody wakes up. And sometimes it's a long period of time, sometimes it's just 15, 20 minutes. It's meant also I have a pretty, I have a pretty long commute, and typically I would use that commute to listen to podcasts, to make pastoral calls. More and more intentionally, I'm trying to just turn everything off. And at least as I'm there, put a posture of listening to God. It also, for me, it's meant Baking in time into my year to making sure that there are periods of time that I'm intentionally trying to practice extended solitude and silence. It's meant prioritizing in our budget to make sure I have resources to go away for a day or two. Uh, It's meant just uh, going on the beach when no one's there, uh, trying to find as many freeways as possible. You don't have to have an extraordinary budget in order to practice this. I've hacked around it in as many ways as possible. Have I, have I perfected it? By no means. You're looking at somebody who is, is trying to keep growing in, in my relationship with God. It's why I, I don't pastor because I love pastoring in and of itself. I love Jesus, and he's given me a love for his people, and therefore I want to pastor because it's connected to my love for Jesus. I'm figuring it out. But during these 21 days... I'm intentionally ratcheting up the heat. And the good news of it all is that the gospel reminds me God is not going to love me more after I spend more time with him or practice silence and solitude or fast. So I'm free to engage in these practices, not from a place of earning God's love, but from a place that I've already been given it freely. What would it look like for you in your life? Sit today, this week, look at your schedule and say, over the next 21 days, how can I practice solitude and silence? How could I bake it into my time? And fast forward, how powerful would it be if we could become a church filled with people that are shaped more by the voice of God than the voice of the world? Shaped more by the love of God that's experienced in this place that's not earned, not worked for, not strived for, but freely given. A people that are, are more and more shaped by the gospel where we practice solitude and silence and in that space we're constantly met by the living God who loves us regardless of what we bring or don't bring to the table. Those kind of people 
can make an incredible impact in our world. Those kind of people shape the world rather than being shaped by it. As I invite the worship team to come forward as we close, if I could invite us to stand. As we stand, as we prepare to close in prayer and in song and in worship, I want to invite us just before we sing, before, in essence, we fill this place with holy noise, but noise nonetheless, could I invite us as we stand to just raise our hands before Jesus and let's practice one minute of silence in the presence of God. And in this minute of silence, position your heart to listen. Lord, help us to listen to your voice. As we begin this moment of silence, Lord, and Lord, as we begin to worship, help us to continue to listen to your voice. We're going to begin the minute right now. And after we begin and we begin to sing, I want to remind you the prayer team is here to my left, to your right. At any given moment during these next few moments, you can slip out of your seat, go and receive prayer for anything that you're carrying today, anything that the Lord may have stirred up in your heart during this morning. But let's begin this minute of silence in the presence of God right now. worship God at this time.